Tonight's reading is from uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death, death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Sometimes we find ourselves asking, don't we, what the benefits of being a Christian really are? Uh, what, what, why, why, for those of us who are Christians, why are we Christians? For those of us that are not yet Christians, we might be asking ourselves, what would be the benefit of becoming a Christian? You may have seen the statistics this week that the attendance at Church of England churches in this country has now dropped below a million. So uh, we could be forgiven for thinking that maybe Christianity's had its day. And uh, we ought to sort of pull out now. I mean, all over the rest of the world, of course, Christianity is growing very fast. But in this country, um, certainly attendance at traditional churches has declined. In many cases, that's a good thing. But still, it's discouraging, isn't it? You kind of think... Um, maybe I should pull out now. Of course, in many countries of the world, being a Christian is extremely costly. Take some of the countries that uh, you read off in the newspaper in the moment. If you uh, live in Oman or Saudi Arabia or Pakistan um, or in North Korea or China, to be a Christian could mean you end up in prison or even killed. What are the benefits of being a Christian? Uh, Many people are suggesting, of course, in this country that we get rid of Christianity. I've got a copy of uh, Hansard uh, recording the debates in Parliament this week. In the House of Lords, Lord Smith of Clifton was discussing, giving his comments on the Queen's speech, and he said this, I am a committed Anglican. I'm sorry that the bishop's bench is empty, as I might have got a blessing. However, I shall not get a blessing for what I'm going to say. I've been a diocesan-appointed governor of a Church of England secondary school. My wife has chaired the governors of a Church of England primary school. However, the time has come to take religious affiliation out of the establishment of schools. In the present age, which has seen a rapid rise in fundamentalism in almost all faiths, the government should pursue a policy of secularization, as we see in France and the United States of America. I imagine you'd be familiar with that view, that we ought to get rid of all religion and get rid of Christianity from schools. And uh, you'll notice, um, I I imagine, that uh, this word fundamentalism is now being used not just of Muslims that blow people up, but also of Christians who still believe the Bible. 
And so those of us who still actually want to live by the teachings of the Bible find ourselves lumped in with people who are radical extremist Muslims. And you have to say to yourself, golly, maybe I ought to pull out. Why would I want to be a Christian in these circumstances? What are the benefits of becoming a Christian? Well, in this uh, passage that was read just now, we're going to find out some of the reasons, some of the very best reasons uh, for being a Christian. Indeed, it explains quite clearly why it is so brilliant being a Christian. Now, Romans chapters uh, 5 to 8, which is a section of this letter that we're beginning tonight, um, really outlines a number of the uh, implications and benefits of trusting in Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of the background very briefly. Uh, This letter, written in the first century by the Apostle Paul to Christians in Rome, uh, is all about the gospel of God. And he's explained in the introduction that this gospel of God is all about the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, and that this gospel is the power of God to save anybody who trusts in it, because it reveals the righteousness of God that we all need. At that point, you might say, what's righteousness? Why do I need that? Well, in 119 through to 320, just uh, the earliest section of the book, the Apostle explains that everybody in the world needs the righteousness of God. Righteousness is, um, is the goodness. It's the, uh, uh, it's the personal purity that God requires of us, but none of us have it. And uh, whether we are pagan or religious, uh, Jewish or Gentile, Um, law-keeping or not, uh, all of us, by degrees, are are unrighteous. We we just don't have the righteousness that God requires of us. And so we can't expect to live with God. We haven't got what we need. But then if you remember from chapter 3, verse 21, through to the end of chapter 4, Paul explains how wonderful it is that in Christ the righteousness of God that we need has been made available to us. And he's explained that it's available to anybody who simply relies upon God for it, by faith in him. And he says, that's amazing, it sounds amazing, but actually it's the ancient way. If you go right back to Abraham, the the great ancestor of the Jews, uh, he was saved in the same way. He, He was counted righteous by just trusting God to keep his promise. And we have to do the same today, to trust God, to count to us the righteousness of God in Christ. Now that is a wonderful thing, to be saved simply by faith in Christ, by trusting in Christ for the righteousness we all need. It's a wonderful thing, and it's available to people of all nations and backgrounds, wherever we come from, whoever we are. We too can have the righteousness of God in Christ counted to us for our salvation, so we can live with God forevermore. So I I don't know how, how you might think or feel about that. If you are a Christian, I hope you know something of the joy of that. I was trying to think um, how you might describe that for somebody who's, who's not yet a Christian. I suppose it's a, a bit like when you hear great news of um, being admitted into a university or to some course or job that you really long for. Um, I think I've only been accepted once for a course. I remember when I got into university, and I remember the letter came through the door. Maybe many of you here have had that experience where you've actually got into a university. Nobody thought you would, but you did. And it was just such a joy. Do you remember that day? And the letter came through the door, and you opened it, you know, fingers trembling, and you thought, you know, I'm very pleased to tell you that. Oh, they, they bought the lie. They, you know, they were fooled. They didn't, they didn't realize how fantastic I've got a place. I remember when I, I then rode off to school on my bicycle. I never remember this day. 
Uh, never forget this day. And um, <laughs> I will never forget this day. Um, what happened? Um, <laughs> my dad opened the window of the house. He was in the bathroom when I got the news in the morning. And he, he opened the door and he yelled down the street. So loud, everybody could hear it. He just yelled at the top of his voice, well done, Richard. You know, and I kind of went off to him. I just felt a million, million bucks. That's what they say, is it? And it was a great day, that day when I was admitted to university. Uh, and on a much bigger scale, that's, it's like becoming a Christian because when you hear the news that you've been accepted by God, you've got in. And that God has accepted you into heaven and you now have membership in heaven. It's, it's such a wonderful privilege. It's such a joy. Well, it also goes on now to explain some of the uh, uh, benefits of being in uh, the kingdom of God, of being righteous and acceptable uh, to God. Much as you might to open the, the, the envelope, and there's all kinds of um, descriptions of what goes on at the university, all the activities and all the benefits of being in the university. So the Apostle now goes, chapters 5 to 8, he's explaining what are some of the benefits of being acceptable to God. The, word, the way he uh, describes it is to be justified by faith. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have. You see, since we have been declared acceptable by God, justified by God, through faith in Jesus Christ, here are the benefits. And there are two big ones that he describes. Peace and hope. And in a world that is full of uh, conflict, uh, both within our hearts and publicly as well, and of terrible hopelessness and desperation. Uh, the Apostle says, in knowing Christ, there is peace and hope. Well, let's look at each in turn. Firstly, we have peace with God, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, this word peace is um, not just the cessation of hostilities. It is also the joy of a harmonious relationship. So this peace with God is not just the absence of an enemy. It is the presence of a friend. The background to this language in the Old Testament is um, the word shalom. You've probably heard the the Jewish greeting shalom. And it means much more than um, stopping fighting. It, it means all the harmony, the, the blessing, the security, the prosperity of living with God. And uh, this uh, peace with God, which was enjoyed by our ancestors right at the beginning at creation, but then was lost when they rebelled, just like we do, they rebelled against God. And it was promised in the Old Testament in many ways. And now in Christ it's available to us once more, this peace with God. It's the idea of well-being, it's of People say that to what human beings need most is security, that is to, to feel safe, and significance, that is to feel valued. And we find both of those in this peace with God. We're safe with him and we're significant to him. We're secure and we're precious to him. And uh, this uh, great peace, this joy, I was just then trying to think, what does that feel like, being a Christian? Well, we're learning more of it all the time, but I suppose it's a bit like um, being on holiday with family and friends, isn't it? You know, many of us will have had that experience. It's perhaps not very often, but it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Perhaps you can remember a time when you went on holiday with a family or with with friends, and there was that tremendous camaraderie of being away together, being 
totally secure and safe in one another's company because you belong with the friends and family, feeling valued and precious because everyone loves you because you're, you're part of the family, you're one of the friends. And it's such, such, such a great time, isn't it? It's such a great uh, place to be on holiday with family and friends. Uh, it's that sense of peace, of belonging, of being at home with God that the Apostle is talking about. He says it's a grace in which we now stand. In other words, it's an undeserved kindness. It's a generosity of God. We don't deserve this peace with him because um, we've been enemies with him before he, he found us. That is, we've been shaking our fist and, and telling him to push off and leave us alone. And, uh, and he's brought to us this peace. Uh, and this undeserved kindness is what we stand in. In other words, it's not, it's not something we drift in and out of. It's not like you, you stand in this grace when you're in church or you know, when you've done some good things, and, and then when you make mistakes or when you sin and rebel, and then you sort of fall out of his grace. Now you stand in it, that is to say, you live in it. It's not, it's, not like, see, it's not as if we just visit God's house from time to time. We live in the house. So we stand in this grace all the time. And to know his favor, to know his peace, is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful experience to be at peace with God, Knowing, for example, that you don't need to feel guilty before him because all that's been dealt with by Jesus, we're now forgiven. It's a wonderful thing to know that he's not a stranger, that he knows us and we're getting to know him through his word. It's a wonderful thing not to be afraid of God. And so we can uh, talk to him in prayer, confident that he loves us. That's a a wonderful thing in life. Um, Many of you know that last year one of my daughters was um, very ill. Thankfully she's much better now, but... She was very ill. I remember um, we used to go to um, special sessions put on for families uh, at the hospital. It was a very worrying time for us. And we used to talk quite openly about how we felt, about what was going on. And um, one of the families has said to us a number of times since, in fact, they said so at the family sessions, when we were talking about it, just occasionally I would say, and actually, I'm sorry to be politically incorrect, but actually knowing God through Jesus is a huge comfort to us because we know that he, he loves us and we're in his hands. And it wasn't a time for kind of making big statements. We were all on the floor, you know. And uh, afterwards, it's very interesting, we've met with a number of people since, and they've said, we could see that you have something we don't have. And it's peace with God. And those of us who know Jesus Christ do have that, don't we? We know God, and it's so precious when times are hard. In fact, I can't think why anybody wouldn't want this peace with God. I'm like, why would, why would you want to keep on fighting God? Many of you have heard the story before, because I've told it before, but for the sake of the newcomers, bear with me. Um, you, you may remember the, um, the, the historical account of that um, Japanese lieutenant, Hiro Anada. Do you remember Anada? He was um, dropped onto Lubang Island in 1941 to uh, carry on guerrilla warfare uh, during World War II. Um, unfortunately, he carried on fighting that war from 1941 until 1970-something. Um, he didn't know that the war had ended. Uh, you may recall that the uh, Americans dropped leaflets onto the islands of the Philippines explaining that the war had ended. Um, but uh, he dismissed this as American propaganda and didn't believe it. People tried to shout at him at, uh, over loud hailers uh, into the jungle. And he would occasionally take a pot shot and then run back into the, into the jungle again. No one could get him to believe that the war had ended. Until apparently in 1972, I think it was, something like that, he stumbled across a couple of students on the beach of the island and at gunpoint, these terrified students explained that the war had been over since 1945. And why was he still fighting it? 
And of course, he returned then. He was, there was a big ticker tape welcome, welcome in, uh, in Tokyo. And uh, I've seen pictures of the, the big parade and the, the buildings, you know, the ticker tape all, you know, welcoming him home. But actually, of course, it's a really, really sad story. Because that man had wasted his life. He'd been living in the jungle, fighting a war he did not need to fight. Yeah, the truth is that many of us keep on fighting God, and we don't need to anymore. He's offering peace because of Christ. He's prepared to end the hostility between us and him because of Christ. Why would you want to carry on fighting when you can know peace with him and no longer be afraid and no longer be distant and no longer be guilty and know him at peace with us? The first blessing is we have peace with God. It's a great thing to know peace with him. The second blessing, we have hope of the glory of God, verses 2 to 4. Let me read that for you again. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So the apostle says we also rejoice or exult in hope. This is not... um, a kind of vague uncertainty, we just hope things go all right, uh, in the way that humans have to hope because we don't control the future. This is the certain hope that God can give because he does control the future. This is the certain hope of sharing in God's glory. Now, God's glory is his, is his holy magnificence and it's his, it's his weighty character, his, the wonder of who he is. And uh, everyone who puts their faith in Christ can look forward to sharing in that glory one day. Uh, it's a, a glory that uh, we once scorned earlier in Romans and in chapter one. Uh, one. Uh, it's characteristic of us while we're sinful that we that we um, uh, we don't glorify God. We don't recognise His greatness. We don't want His greatness, and we certainly fall far short of His glory in chapter three. We're well short of being anywhere near. His holiness and magnificence and splendor. And yet in his kindness, he's offered to share it with us. And so we look forward to it. I was thinking, how, how do you describe it, the, the, the um, splendor, the glory of God? I mean, uh, we see it in Jesus, especially in his death, but we've not yet seen it. One day we'll see it and be there. But I imagine it's, it's a combination of a sort of grandeur. Um, I was noticing on the video... You, the grandeur of, of many people, or the grandeur of mountains. Um, I mean, many of us have been, I guess, to, to the Alps or something like that. You've seen a wonderful scene. And the grandeur is just breathtaking, that, that experience of just how grand and beautiful something is. Um, or um, how, how wonderful it is if you're uh, uh, lying uh, on a beach on holiday and the warmth of the sun and just the sheer joy of, uh, and re- of relaxing and of... Uh, being on holiday like that, that joy and warmth um, is clearly what it will be like to be in the new world uh, that, God, uh, w- that God will create. And the joy of being there with his people, singing his praises and enjoying him. Those of us who have been to the London conventions that were involved in running, the women's conventions or the men's conventions, you know, to be in the Albert Hall and to be with thousands of guys singing their hearts out and, and praising God, it's so uplifting as we uh, hear about God and sing his praises. And uh, that's what the apostles talk about. We're looking forward to singing his praise and enjoying his goodness, being overwhelmed with how magnificent he is. And we will one day share in it. 
In fact, says the Apostle, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, even in our sufferings, the troubles and hardships we must go through in life. Because, he says, suffering trains us and actually increases the quality of our hope. Notice how he, how he argues. He says, look, um, uh, sufferings uh, produce perseverance, that is, endurance. And perseverance produces character, that is, personal toughness. And so it's like um, having to go through hard times teaches us to endure and to keep going. It clarifies what we really believe. It helps us to cling on to those convictions and and, uh, makes us personally tougher and stronger and able to survive and be of more help to others in the process. And you ask yourself, um, where does Paula Radcliffe get her personal strength from? Did you see on the television the other day when she won the New York Marathon? Was it six months after having a baby? She not only runs a marathon, she wins it against all the world-class athletes. I mean, what kind of woman could do that? I mean, it's extraordinary personal strength that Paula Radcliffe has, isn't it? Well, how did she get that? She didn't just turn up and happen to win it, did she? It's almost like we weren't even surprised. Because where did she get that immense personal strength from? Well, the hours and hours, the days and days, the months and years of training. She's learned to endure. She's learned to, to persevere. And she's learned, she says, built immense character in her. Nothing will stop her. She just keeps going and going and going and going until she wins. And the apostles are saying, look, spiritually, that is what hardships can do for us. When hardships come to us, personal sickness or sickness in the family, disappointment and failure, illness, bereavements, troubles, hardships, those things that really hurt. But even in the midst of them, though they hurt, When you're a Christian, you actually can learn to persevere and become personally tougher. And actually that increases the sense of hope and longing for the future. The hope becomes more real because the present is rubbish. But you long for that future of being with God. More than that, says the Apostle, there are two um, sure foundations and supports for this hope. And he gives it to us. Firstly, because Christ has died, verses 5 to 8. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. You see, the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, that God gives to us when we become a Christian, living in us to help us understand the gospel and know Jesus better, reassures and persuades us that Jesus loves us and that God loves us. Because, you see, in the death of Christ, you see demonstrated the love of God. See what he says, verse 6. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, if if you don't know how much God loves you, then you don't yet understand the cross. You know, once you become a Christian, you see, you, you can see God's love demonstrated, as it were, physically and in history, in the very event of the cross, where Jesus died in our place and suffered the penalty we, we deserve. And the, the extent, the measure of that love is both in how great he is and in how undeserving we are. You see, we were powerless, that is, weak and undeserving. We were ungodly, unholy and undeserving. 
we were sinners, moral failures, and undeserving. And yet still, God sent his only son to die for us on the cross, because he loves us so. And the apostle says, look, sometimes you hear of heroic sacrifices. Every so often you hear of somebody who, who gave their life for somebody else. It's rare. You get a Victoria Cross or a George Cross for it. It's in the news. It's big news when somebody dies. But who ever heard of anybody dying for their enemies? I, I don't know of any illustrations. I looked, I thought, I can't think of any illustrations of this because it's unique. That God could, should give his son to die on that cross for us, his enemies. Well, if you want evidence, demonstration that God loves us, just look at what he did for us on the cross. And then secondly, the second support for knowing God's love and therefore having confidence in our hope is that Christ is risen. Verses 9 to 10. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? The fact that Jesus is now risen is yet more support for our hope. At verse 9, since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? I think the apostle has, there's, there's two dimensions to his argument here. He's saying, firstly, since God has justified us, that is, since God has declared us acceptable, since it's God's wrath that will one day come, we're safe, because the same one who will bring the wrath has already declared us accepted. You see? So we don't need to fear his wrath because it's his wrath. And he has declared us acceptable. Moreover, the apostle is saying, is since he actually offered his son to shed his blood on the cross for us, do you think he would have wasted his son on a plan that doesn't work? He, he gave his son to die for us so that we might be with him. And if he shed the blood of his son, and of course, we will survive the wrath to come. Moreover, verse 10, Jesus is alive. For when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That is, not only did Jesus suffer the penalty for our sins and complete the righteousness that we need, but he is still alive now, interceding for us at the right hand of God. So our Saviour who bled for us on the cross and who lived the righteousness we need, that very same Saviour, the one who did all that so that we can go to be in heaven, is right now at the right hand of God securing our place in heaven. Right? So the one who went through all that is not at this point now going to lose, lose us. The one who died is now alive and he represents us at the right hand of the Father, and his scarred hands and side remind the Father constantly that our penalty has been paid and that his righteousness is ours so that we belong in heaven. Isn't it wonderful to have our own intercessor, our own representative in the throne room of God, Jesus himself, that he actually is securing our eternity and our salvation. When uh, my wife Sean and I first got married, uh, it, was, it was rather good. We used to bank with NatWest Bank in um, North London. And uh, it was really very useful because Sean's uncle was the manager. And uh, so when we bought a house, it was fine. There was no problem with the mortgage. Uh, we could have any overdraft we wanted because Sean's uncle was the manager. 
Uh, he's not now, which is a big pain, because um, we could really do with him now. Uh, in fact, boy, could we do with him now. But at the time, it was a great comfort, you see. Any problem, we just ring the manager. Um, you know, he'd say, don't worry, I'll sort it out for you. Nothing was too hard. Sean's uncle was there. It was great. Well, how much better it is to have Jesus at the right hand of God, dealing not just with an overdraft, but with our eternity. You see, the one who died for us, who shed his blood for us, that same one who cares so much that we're saved, is at the right hand of God, reigning on high, and he's dealing with the admissions policy to heaven. And so he will let us in. And so we are secure, and we can face death with confidence, and we can live in the hope of being with him forever. This is not just fantasy land. <clears throat> I mean, you could, ask, you could ask me, I suppose you could say, you know, do you, are you frightened of, of death? And I could say to you, well, what, if you're as young and as fit as I am, you know, I mean, it wouldn't really mean very much. But um, I went to see my dad the other day. My dad's not very well at the moment. He, he has got cancer. Um, he, he knows it'll kill him. At the moment, he's, he's uh, okay. But uh, he knows he hasn't got very long. And I wondered whether it was going to be very quick. And he's um, rushed up to see him recently. In fact, he's, much, he's better than I thought. But um, he's a Christian man, a very fine Christian man. And we have one of those um, great conversations you hope that you can have with your dad from time to time. And uh, I sat with him. I said to him, Dad, are you frightened of dying? He said, no, no, I'm not frightened at all. All that is sorted through Jesus Christ. I'm not talking theory here. He really is not frightened of dying. Because as a Christian, he knows that death is the doorway into an eternity with God. See? So he can look forward to that. Without Jesus Christ, I don't know how you can face death. I suppose you party like mad and then hope they give you something so you can't think straight. How else do you face death? But in Jesus Christ, we have a sure and certain hope of the future. We shall be saved through his life. And so in conclusion says the Apostle, verse 11, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. This life of peace with God and hope in God is matched by joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, will you, that it's not joy in what a great bargain we've got. Salvation isn't a sort of um, car boot sale, cheap sale, magnificent bargain. Isn't that great? Got salvation free. Isn't that amazing? You know, you get two for Christmas sort of thing. It's a personal thing with God. You see, we've put our faith in him for our salvation. And so we rejoice in him that he is our saviour. Notice how it is, though. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 1, in verse 9, in verse 10, and in verse 11. In each case, it's through Jesus, through Jesus, through Jesus, through Jesus. God has saved us through him. And so we, we rejoice in him. Through whom we've now received reconciliation. The whole thing is summed up as being reconciled to God. We know that word reconciliation, don't we? It's, we speak of it with estranged parties in a marriage or in nations. Reconciliation is where those who have been hostile become friends once more. Now that reconciliation is particularly wonderful when you are the party that doesn't deserve it, but the other person takes you back. 
I remember sitting with a, a couple uh, where the uh, husband had confessed to multiple adulteries and the whole family was just, uh, sorry, the children didn't know, but obviously um, the man and his wife, the whole thing was just carnage. And uh, I went to see them. They were both Christians and uh, he had confessed to her and was confessing to me. And um, we went through what he'd done and it's absolutely appalling. And uh, some t- at some stage in a very long conversation, I eventually turned to her and said, well, what do you want to do? Um, you're under no obligation to keep this man in this house. Uh, every sense of justice would say, kick him out. And there was this moment when he turned to her and he looked at her and he waited to see what she would say. And at that moment she said, no, I want him to stay. I want him to stay. And of course they fell apart crying. But um, the issue is, you see, there's nothing like reconciliation where you are the person that doesn't deserve it when you hear that the other person is willing to have you back. And that is what God has done for us. There is absolutely no way that we deserve to be with him, but he has said that he's willing to have us back. He is reconciled to us because of what happened on the cross. And that's why we rejoice in him. Benefits of being a Christian? We live at peace with him, no longer afraid, no longer a stranger, no longer guilty. At peace with him, living in his grace all the time. It's wonderful. We live in hope of sharing in his glory. We've got a future to look forward to. Everybody else is trying not to think about it. We can think about it as much as we like, because we've got a hope to look forward to. And so we live rejoicing in God. We know God and we love him, because he's been reconciled to us and accepted us as his own. Let's bow our heads in prayer and thank him for all this. Just a moment of quiet for uh, each of us to pray to God, whether for the first time ever or, as we've done many times before, to thank him for peace and hope and joy. Dear God in heaven, we thank you that each one of us here tonight can be justified and acceptable to you through faith in Christ. How we thank you for the benefits of being justified. Thank you for peace with you. Thank you that we can now be living in your grace, knowing you personally, no longer afraid, no longer distant, and no longer guilty. Thank you for the hope we have of sharing in your glory, even in sufferings that sharpen our longing and confidence in the future. We thank you for this prospect of being with you and sharing in your magnificent holiness one day. We praise you that we can rejoice in knowing you. How we praise you for sending Jesus to be our saviour. And we pray you send us home tonight knowing that wherever we go this week, that we're trusting in Jesus for our righteousness and therefore we rejoice in peace and hope and in knowing you. 
And in all this, we want to give you praise for the Lord Jesus. For in his name we pray. Amen. We could take a couple of questions. If people wanted to ask questions or to make a comment or to um, contribute, if you have any uh, prophetic wisdom into how this passage applies to us, you're very welcome to, to contribute. Thank you. I think if I heard the question right, for those that didn't hear it, sometimes it's very difficult, especially when we're going through very difficult times, going through suffering. It's very hard to feel confident of the hope that we have. How can we, where can we get uh, more of that hope, to strengthen our hope? Have I understood the question right? Um, in, in those periods of, of little bit of testing that I've been through, and I, from what I've picked up from others who've been through much more severe testing, I do think that often... Um, the answers to our prayers comes through the family. That is to say, in other, in other members of the Christian family coming to help us and to support us. See, God doesn't want to lift us out of this world in a privileged way so that our faith in him is based on simply on the privileges. So he leaves us in the world, and what he does is he then sends the rest of the family to support. So I think the first thing that, um, is to ask for help, uh, and if we know people are going through, a suffer- to, through suffering, to give it. Go and be with them, to listen to them, to cry with them, to pray with them, to talk with them. And in a real and normal way, when it's appropriate, to remind them of the gospel. Remind them of what is true. They know it's true, but they need reminding. And I need reminding, and you do too. We all do. Which is why, of course, when, we're not, when we don't go to church, we don't mix with Christians, we don't hear the gospel very often that hope begins to sort of feel a bit thin. And it's strengthened again when we hear it, when other people explain to us, tell me again, why are we certain of the future? Oh yes, it's because Jesus died and because Jesus rose. Tell me again, how does that work? Yes, thank you, and now my hope is stronger. So it is through hearing the word from our brothers and sisters in the family that I think most strength will come. That would be my first reaction, but what, others want to contribute on that? There are others here who have been through tough times and know something of that. Yes, thanks, John. Um, of course, it's true that um, we all go through different seasons in life, and some of those seasons are very testing times. Um, but I don't want to concede what the Bible doesn't concede, that, it, that those periods are necessarily periods of despair. Um, now, it is true that faith, uh, our faith is often very weak. Thankfully, our salvation doesn't depend upon the strength of our faith, but on the strength of God's salvation, which is unbreakable. So it is true that Christians can go through dreadful periods when they're away from God and rebelling or losing confidence in him. But it doesn't have to be like that. That is to say, this passage is saying that even in the sufferings we can rejoice. And uh, you, you will talk to people um, who've been th- who are Christians who've been through dreadful, really dreadful suffering, and yet somehow in the midst of it, they've still found joy in the hope of being with God one day. And so I think we can say to one another that even in the midst of dreadful pain and suffering, it is possible for our faith to be strengthened. In other words, we don't have to despair, we don't have to concede that we just have to endure despair. Um, So if you talk to people, I mean, there are people here, there are people whose parents I know who have been through appalling suffering and yet speak of how God has been with them in the middle of it. And I remember somebody I worked for at a previous church whose uh, daughter was extremely ill and on the point of death for some months. 
And I remember him saying um, once to us, uh, the Lord's hand is heavy upon me at the moment, but I am glad that it's the Lord's hand. And knowing that the Lord was sovereign and looking after him, even in the midst of the pain, kept him going. And I don't want to underestimate that. I'm not saying that it is always uh, everyone's experience, because sometimes we fail and we're weak in our faith. But we don't want just to kind of um, surrender people to despair either. We don't want to say, it's okay that they're falling apart. We want to say, no, actually we could be of some help. Let's see if those of us who don't know them can gather around, be there for them. And I don't mean pious platitudes, people don't need pious platitudes. But when it's time to talk, of course most of the time it's time to listen, but when it becomes time to talk, uh, try and say something about the basis of our hope. That Jesus died, that he is risen, will be with him one day. Let me pray with you. And even when they're too weak to pray, let me pray the things that are true, that it might bolster their faith. Well, I've never found that that has been um, uh, anything but a great comfort to people, if we're real and uh, uh, appropriate about it. Okay? Last comment? Yeah. Well, that's a very important point you're making, that a lot of the, a lot of the afflictions and troubles that we, we like to think of as afflictions and troubles are actually a reflection of... Um, either selfish, selfish desires that are frustrated or ambitions that are really not proper and we, we feel angry about not being able to have what we want and then claim their afflictions that God should remove. That's another issue. Um, uh, and you're absolutely right that uh, we need to be careful about assuming that things are, are troubles we have to go through. Sometimes repentance of sin uh, can bring great joy. Um, but then there are other things which are not sin, but the hardships of life in this world. And in either, uh, God is there if we'll turn to him uh, in hope.